Wow, what an incredible, what an incredible scripture. Uh, now I want to take, take you to another uh, scripture that might at first not seem quite as fun, but hang with it. We'll see if we can't get to the fun part at some point. Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses uh, 36 through 44. Now, Jesus is speaking of the second coming in this line in direction of scriptures. Okay, so if you're like me, you were raised to be super afraid of the second coming. How many people remember uh, in The Thief of the Night? Anybody remember that movie? Okay, there's a few hands. Anyone else freaked out about the second coming? All right, so this is, all right, uh, I'm not alone. If, if that's unfamiliar to you, there's this line of thought that when Jesus comes back, that it's like this terrible, horrific, startling, like all of a sudden you wake up and people are gone, and were you left behind, were you not left behind, and then Thief of the Night, I was just a young teenager when I remember watching it, but someone gets their head cut off by a guillotine, I don't know where that falls in the plot of that movie, I just remember being deathly afraid that if I missed the second coming, I'd have my head chopped off by a guillotine, so uh, let's not get too freaked out, I just acknowledge that Sometimes when we talk about the second coming, it's not filled full of hope. It's filled full of fear. Uh, I don't think that's where we're, I don't think that's what Jesus intended um, at all in any stretch of the imagination. So I just want to acknowledge that we are going to use the word second coming. Don't have a panic attack. It's okay. All right. Don't have a panic attack. It's all right. Matthew chapter 24 Verses 36 through 44. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah, right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Now understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. This is the word of the Lord. So I believe stories are the best way to relate to people because in stories you get the essence of a person. I had a mentor sit down with me not too long ago, actually, talking to me about the theme of leadership. The mentor said to me, you will know you have become their leader once you know their story better than they do. He said to me, you'll become their leader the moment you know their story better than they do. Storytelling. Right? To hear my story reveals the essence of who I am, my experiences, where I've been, and maybe even where I'm headed to, but to share in a story. 
for you to know my story better than I do, for me to know your story better than you do. Well, it stops being an individual narrative and is now a shared experience. A shared experience where two stories are intertwined as one. Scott's story becomes my story, and my story becomes Scott's. This is exactly what happens with good buddies. Right? I bet you can remember, back, think of your best friend. I bet you can remember the time your best friend became your best friend. For me, though this person is not my best friend, if he ever listens to this, I do love you. He's a good friend. And where all, of this, where all of this began was back in college. I was going to college in the suburbs of uh, Chicago, and we had a retreat up in Michigan that we needed to get to that I was asked to be a part of, and I was assigned to ride with this young man named Rindy. I had never met Rindy. He had never met me. He didn't know my story. I didn't know his. And I was assigned to ride in his, I kid you not, white Bronco, for five hours up to Michigan. And I was a little nervous because I didn't know this guy. He didn't know me. Were we going to get along or was it going to be an awkward, like, awkward ride? This was before uh, iPhones and stuff. I had no ear pods, none of that. So it was either we talk or we just sit, you know, will we listen to music, will we not? It was one of those things. I'm sure you've been there before in an awkward situation. Or are you going to get along with this person or are you not? Well, needless to say, we made it all the way up to Michigan and it was fine. It was fine. It was a good ride. While there, I had this brilliant idea at uh, midnight. I mean, if we're in Michigan, we're not that far from Canada. So Randy and I were together because he was my ride, and we went to go pick up snacks at midnight, and we had a whole car full of people. And I just pitched the idea out there, just lobbed it out there. Hey, guys, you know, geographically, we had no idea where we were, one. And we had no idea how large Michigan was as a state. So we just know, like, on, you know, if you're looking at a map, we are far closer to Canada than what we were when we were in Chicago. So who wants to go to Canada? <laughs> and, and Rindy, no one else in the car thought it was a good idea. Rindy said, uh, I'll go. So we dropped everybody else off, and at 2 a.m., we started our journey north to find Canada. Well, at about 4 o'clock, we ran into an intersection, a little road called C-38. It was a 30-mile stretch where there was nothing but starlight and pine trees. I don't think there was a single house on the entire road. We didn't realize that we were in dead center Michigan. And I kept saying, 15 minutes, Randy, 15 minutes, and we'll be there. Just think maple syrup, 15 minutes, man, 15 minutes, we'll get there. As if we couldn't get maple syrup in, Can in Michigan. At 4 a.m., we met this sweet little red-headed lady. Uh, she was about three and a half feet tall. She's beautiful. And we met, we met her in uh, a little gas station because uh, it, this was before GPS, before cell phones, and we didn't have a map in the car. So we were going gas station to gas station, checking, <laughs> checking in with maps. We're going to Canada. And I, you'll never, I'll never forget Faye's eyes when we came in and said, we're going to Canada. <laughs> she goes, you got a long ways to go. <laughs> what do you mean? We're in Michigan. We've got to be next door, right? And uh, she sent us on our way, and, and we decided at that moment we were either going to miss the rest of the retreat, which we were being paid to be at, mind you, or we were going to have to turn around. So we turned around. We never made it to Canada. We realized we were 11 hours away. <laughs> 
idiots, just dumb. But man, we were in full vigor, super passionate in that little white Bronco. Woo, we're going to Canada. No, we never made it. We came, we came back. But you know what did happen? If Randy was here today, our stories wouldn't be two separate stories. It'd be one story. And we'd tell this story as if we were one person. Something happened in that moment on our adventure to uh, Canada ending on a really lonely road in the middle of Michigan, C-38, not nearly as glamorous as having crossed Lake Superior into Michigan but, or into Canada. But one thing that did happen is that Randy and I became really good friends. We're still good friends to this day on that shared experience, and it is that common bond that we share together. Guys, I, you know, this is kind of awkward. I'm having a hard time focusing, okay? Um, I just need to say that. Um, this happens, this happens all the time, right, with mothers. In fact, if you're a mother in this room, there are many mothers in this room. If you are a mother, if I were to ask you to tell me a story about your child, about the love you have with your child, the story I'm imagining, and I've heard many of them, would not be very long before you just say, well, I gave birth to the thing, and I love them. They're a part of me. I remember. And you'll go through the details. Who was there, how you felt, how much pain you were in, and then eventually you will land on, but it was all worth it. In a moment's time, right, we're all products of mothers, every single one of us. It's not our story, right? It's not about us learning our mother's story in that moment. The reality is every single one of us, our stories at that moment was bound to theirs. It's not an experience that I get to share about Sarah uh, Jane Edwards. <laughs> it's my mom. It's not my story. But me as a person, I'm forever tied to Sarah Jane Edwards, forever and ever and ever. In that moment, my life, even before I can remember, became intertwined with hers. And those in this room that are mothers, can't you, don't you know, can't you feel what it is that I'm saying in this moment that the stories of our children, right? It's not the children's choice, but it's your very narrative is intertwined with theirs. And now it is like your life is their life. The product of your children reflect back on you in this most beautiful and exceptional way, right? Because they're part of you. They are you. There is no separation. Their story is your story. Just like Hadley and Ben, they'll forever be part of my story. It'll take them a long time to realize that on their end. Probably once they have kids, they'll realize. But for me, Ben Edwards is forever a part of my narrative. Hadley Edwards is forever a part of my story. Why? Because we share something in common. Stories are one thing. Stories are good. Stories share an essence about someone. But shared experience? Shared experience forms a common narrative, forms a common bond, forms something together. I am not just a pastor. You are not just a congregation. 
I am and forever will be, forever and ever, a pastor at New Beginnings Church. I am not a blip on the radar. You are who I am. And you don't have to accept me. That's fine. But I am forever part of who you are. We share this experience over nearly four years together, being bound together in a narrative. We are linked now. We are one with one another, and it is a beautiful thing. What separates that from happening in life more often than not? Why is it that we feel so often that we are not part of something, that we are isolated, that we are alone, that we are separated, that we might show up in a place, we might go to work, but we don't really feel that we're a part of that company. We don't really feel like we're in their plans at all. We might go to school, but we wouldn't say that school is our family. You know what I mean? Like we go to lots of places, but we don't necessarily feel connected. Our stories don't necessarily feel intertwined. I'm really talking about two things this morning, and I want to use the whiteboard to illustrate what it is that I am talking about, okay? So, if this black line represented a timeline, what would be, if it, Roland, if this represented your timeline, what would be at the beginning? You don't have to give me the exact number, but what would be at the beginning? Yes, your date, right? What would be at the end? Okay, sure. Where would you be? <laughs> Somewhere? Yeah. Okay, we'll just put you in the middle. All right. Awesome. So I'm, I'm really talking about two things. And we'll, hopefully, if all things goes well, it will be very clear by the end. But we're talking about the line itself, okay? The line itself, and we're talking about the intersection of time, okay? So the line itself is your life. Me and Rindy, we have two different timelines, okay? But at some point in time, Rindy and I's story began to intersect and intertwine together. Our lines came together. The story of Rindy and I is not just that X in time, that, that winter in 2004 in which our lives intersected. We are far more than that intersection. Now we're friends. We have a lot more common experience. And when we talk and when we share life, it's almost as if we are one rather than two different lines. So what is it that makes us feel as if we're separated from someone else's line? I think what it is, and I've got three, three things I want to propose to you. But the main overarching theme that makes us feel that I am separate from Bruce, right? And I don't, that's not a real feeling. This is hypothetical. But there is someone in your life which you feel diametrically opposed to. That's just human nature. All right? So for illustration, let's just say that Bruce and I hate each other. Okay, we don't, I don't think. Good. <laughs> that would have been really awkward if you're like, yeah, actually. <laughs> all right. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, so we can all be a part of the same conversation here, Bruce and I, our lines, we're separate from one another. What keeps us? What keeps us separated and opposed from one another? I think it has something to do with the X, not the line. So you're going to have to follow with me for this to make sense, all right? I think it has something to do with the intersection of time, not human nature itself, all right? So this line that moves through time, 
It's the same for every single person. No matter what language they speak, no matter the color of their skin, no matter where they live, no matter the, where they were raised or the events in which they experienced, the thing that separates Bruce and I from one another is that his ex began and way, way before my ex began. Okay? <laughs> now he hates me. Okay? His ex began before mine and his dates, his milestones, his, the things that he would put as an intersection of time. Is that X making sense, by the way? Like he goes to school, and you put an X on this date, okay? He goes to school in 1949, and he just, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That would make him way, way older than what he is, right? He goes to school at this time. A girl breaks his heart at this time. He accepts a job at this time. At the time he accepts that job, I get fired from a job, all right? The girl that he marries was the girl, not, not real, now I need to be careful, okay? This is all hypothetical. It's the girl that I loved, okay? But he married her, not me. So what separates timelines? The differences of our intersections in time. The values. Maybe Bruce believes in something different than I believe in. And so on this date, Whatever date it is, Bruce decided he was a passionate believer of whatever belief. And I decided that Bruce was wrong. And I look back at that intersection of time, and I say, ah, you got it wrong, Bruce. I'm down here living life right, and when you decide to make the right decision, then my line can live alongside your line. Another way to say that is I can be your friend the moment you start believing what I want you to believe in. What keeps our lives separated from one another? Well, when the stories in our lives don't find agreement in the stories in our own, I think what we experience so much in culture today has very little to do with human nature, human being, being an organism that breathes air and lives. That ought to unite us all. But it doesn't. Why not? Shouldn't that be enough? Why are we so divided? Because I think, and this would be the problem that this sermon is trying to solve here, I think because we live from point to point, and you're either right or you're wrong. You're either making the right decision in time or you're making the wrong decision in time. And we assign you to two categories in life. I either agree with the decisions you're making or I disagree. It has nothing to do with the line itself that is moving through time. It has everything to do with this intersection. So what does this create? When we live like this, from point to point to intersection to intersection. Now some of you that have more life experience than me, you, you may have a different way of viewing this, and I would love to hear your opinion. But for any teenager in the room, I can guarantee you if you would ask them to share about their stress, I won't do it now, I'm tempted to, but I won't. If you had asked them to share about their stress, they're going to tell you they're stressed to the max that they don't get the right grades to get into the right college. Why? Why are they so stressed about getting into the right college? Because if they don't get the X right 
If they don't get the right selection, then they're going to miss out on the right job. And if they miss the right selection of school, then they miss the right job, then they miss the right spouse, then they miss the right career, and they're just left dangling. We have created a system for our, this is kind of like an old man rant here, I'll get back. We've created a system for our children to inherit in which they live pressure to pressure to pressure trying to get the marks on their timeline right. We don't do enough celebrating the line, the person themselves. We put a lot of pressure on making sure that they have made X decision, that they have landed in X place. We are paying hyper attention to their timelines and what choices they make in those timelines. So what does this do to a person? I think it creates three things. Now, there's more. I've just boiled it down to three. One, and they're all centered around shame, okay? All of these center around shame. One is, I don't want this timeline. I never wanted this timeline. X happened to me, and I didn't ask for it to happen. I don't want to be here, right? So the first thing is, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want to be here. How many, don't answer this question. How many of you find yourself in church because you belong to someone else's choice over you and you don't want to be here? There's one right there. It's all over the place, okay? The point will be focus on Emily, not her choice, okay? You raised your hand, so now you're going to get called out. That's the point of the sermon. What would it be like for a congregation Instead of discussing, well, what can we do to make sure that Emily loves church? That question will burn you out every single time. Trust me. It'll burn you out every single time. There's nothing you can do to make Emily love church. Nothing you can do. So don't try. Love Emily. Okay? The second thing, the second thing is, first thing is, I don't want to be here. I don't want this story. The second thing is, shouldn't have this story. If you're a counselor, you know that this is the first step towards destruction in a person's narrative, right? They're headed down a road that, oh man, it's hard to come back from, right? Well, X shouldn't have happened to me. And this is a blame game too. Well, the pastor shouldn't have called me out in church. <laughs> or if this didn't happen, this shouldn't have happened, I should be something else. I should be something different. So the first thing is you don't want the story, right? And so you protect your story from other stories because you don't want the one you're living. The other one is you should have a different story. <laughs> and so you live insular and protected from other stories, not allowing other lines to intersect with your line, separating yourself as far as you possibly can because you should be something different than what you are. And then the third one is you want to be someone else. This is all perfectly illustrated with a young lady that Jenny and I got to know when we lived in Florida. She had come from the most horrific background you could think of. The things that she had experienced on her timeline, I will never be able to relate to, should never try, and no one should ever, ever, ever experience the exes on this girl's timeline. One of her 
attitudes towards her timeline was that she didn't want the timeline that she had. And so she was fostered by a family that went to our church. So she was made to come to church. She did not want to come to church. <laughs> she was made to be in my youth group. She did not want me to be her youth pastor. She didn't want a pastor. She didn't believe in pastors. She didn't believe in me. She didn't want me to be around. She didn't want to be there. This all kind of came to a head when I got her one of those huge super-sized Bibles because I just wanted to embarrass her and make her carry it to school, and she'd be super, I'm just kidding, it's a joke. But I did get her a really big Bible. <laughs> I presented it to her. She recoiled at the thought that she would carry this Bible around. Why did she recoil at it in so many words? I don't want it, Jake. <laughs> I don't know who you think I am, but I don't belong in that story. And she said in her own words, but she was saying this. I shouldn't be included in a story of righteous people. You shouldn't include me. Don't you know where I've been? I don't want this story that I carry, and I shouldn't be included around good stories. And then she talked about the other girls in the youth group. And I'll never be like them. She said, ah, revealing that she wanted to be like them. But she felt like she could never be like them. Why could she never be like them? Because she felt that her exes in life, their intersections in time, these events that happened to her that are not fair, that she did not deserve, but they happened. She felt like they diametrically kept her opposed from anyone else's narrative, that she would never, ever be a person worthy of being called redeemed and valued. Why? Because her intersections in time kept her away. Whoa. So what happened with this young lady? I want to show you in an illustration what happened. So the young lady was born in a world of hell happened immediately over and over and over and over and over again. By the time that she got to us, she was 12 years old. She was a shadow of a human being. So what happened to her? Well, there was a saint in our youth group. This is one of the stories of my ministry I'll forever be proud of, to be a part of this, to help cultivate a culture that allowed for this to happen. There was a saint in our church named Missy Siegfried, and she would not take no for an answer. And so she just kept showing up in this girl's life over and over again. She just kept showing up. She wouldn't stay away. She just intertwined her story. No matter how many times the young lady said, don't include me, don't invite me, Missy said, oh, okay, by the way, we're meeting together tonight. <laughs> she just kept constantly inviting and including her until Missy's story began to be her story. And suddenly this girl started showing up at small group, singing in our praise band, carrying that big ridiculous Bible with her name engraved on it around. Sure enough, the young lady's story began to reflect a whole new narrative. Not a narrative that was exclusive because of the events that happened in her life, but a narrative that was now open to a story of grace and inclusion that evolved around 
and around and around and around. So Jesus is telling us stories of timelines in Matthew 24. Did you catch that? He's talking about two different times, not about a guillotine that will chop your head off if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's not talking about that. He's talking about two totally different times, and it's completely exciting. So catch this, right? That last heart got a little out of control, but those are supposed to be, those are supposed to be two hearts, and I, I, I need to get back on so I make sure I land this plane in the, in the right way, okay? All right. So when Jesus mentions Noah, he's talking about two timelines. He's talking about God's future. We'll say that's the top line. He's talking about God's time, heavenly time, God's future coming into, coming toward our time. That will be the bottom line. He is talking about the merger of heavenly time with earthly time. The merger of God's story with our story. What he's not talking about are the X's in time that keep us opposed from God's love. You did this when? Oh, you're out. You showed up like this? Oh, you're out. You mean you didn't accept me as your personal Lord and Savior? Guillotine. Boom. <laughs> Hang with me now. I may have just offended you. Hang on. What he's talking about is something far more intimate, far more beautiful than what decision you made on the last night of church camp. These are important decisions, y'all. I'll get back to these are important decisions. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying what God is after is not the X, it's the line. Okay, you, you get that? Does God use the X to enter the line? Absolutely. For many of us, our lines begin to intersect with God once we made that crucial decision to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. That is an important decision. But God is after more than that decision. What God is after is my entire life, the entire development of my life. What God, what God is after with Jake Edwards is the times when I got it wrong just like the times when I got it right. God isn't ready to erase my line from the heavenly books just because I may have screwed up here or screwed up there. Oh, man. This is great, great hope for all. Can you imagine? So if what God is after is the merger of our timelines into his, if what God is after is including our line, the mistakes and all, sins, in all, if God is after the full redemption of our entire life, one, you should breathe easy. Because church isn't about if you get it right, right now. What God is after, friends, is the whole entire story. He wants to rewrite the whole entire story. So I better get to that before I lose it. 
So Jesus shows up talking about two different timelines. And for those who had eyes to see, for those around Jesus who had eyes to conceptualize whatever the world Jesus was talking about, the fact that God would enter their story was an act of God merging the sinful stories of humankind to the grace story of his own. Well, this was a transforming act from the personal narrative into a heavenly one. And for those who did not have eyes to anticipate the arrival of God as something good, but maybe as something scary, maybe as something they should be afraid of, I don't know about you. This will make you uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but it's the truth and it's honesty. I was always afraid that God was going to come back before I had sex. There's more of you that uh, relate to that than would ever want to admit to that. But what, what, what was I so afraid of? I was so afraid I wouldn't get to do fun stuff before God came back and made me go to boring heaven. Dad told me that it was going to be a church service. I thought that was horrible. I wanted to have fun stuff, right? For those who didn't have eyes to see, God intersecting their time was a bad thing. And so they YOLO'd. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about with Noah. Hey, you only live once, so they ate and they drank and they caroused up until the very day that Noah entered the boat, right? Why were they doing that? Because any other story to them was a threat. They were so afraid they were going to miss out and so they started marking their timelines with everything that they thought would give them life and happiness. They had no conception that God entering their story was actually a good thing. God entering their story was something akin to being forced to go to church. So for those who didn't have eyes to anticipate the arrival of God, God's intersection in time looked more like an interruption than a blessed arrival. Allow me to spin the story that we heard this way. The one left in the field will say, Where did my coworker go? You know I can't finish this task alone. Why did you interrupt my work? The one left at the mill will bemoan the time it will take to replace the worker that just left her. And she will cry because God has no mercy that he would intersect her time and take another with her. Are these mourning that God entered the story or are they celebrating? Are they mourning or are they celebrating? Is it a reunion that God showed up or is it an interruption that God showed up? With the ones left, God interrupted time. But what about the ones taken? What made the difference for those people that were taken with God? Perhaps it was that they were anticipating the arrival of their very hope. For those people, the entrance of God into their world was the hope of their redemption, the renewal of their story. It wasn't an interruption, but a reunion, a transformation of old ways into new ways, a promise of salvation that comes into a visit. So what made the difference for these people is that their anticipation of hope led to an incredible reunion. 
Back in the early 2000s, my cousin was set to deliver the first grandbaby of that generation of Edwards kids. With this baby, everyone would become the first, right? The first grandmother, the first great-grandmother, the first mother, first-time great-grandparent, first cousin to have a baby, so on and so forth. And so we were all gathered into this small little waiting room, crammed there all night. Baby Drew took his sweet, loved time. Okay. He was on his own schedule, but we didn't give up. We stayed together the entire time awaiting and though baby Drew interrupted all of our schedules because that year nothing went to plan the way it was supposed to go to plan. I think it was around Thanksgiving, actually. And Thanksgiving dinner, I don't even think we had Thanksgiving dinner. Baby Drew interrupted all of that. But was his arrival a disappointment? Oh, come on. You're looking at me like you don't know the answer. Of course not. Of course not. We were glad to rearrange all of our schedules. And when we held baby Drew, it was just like you as a mother. It was this, as if we always knew baby Drew, as if he had always been part of our family, as if there wasn't a day in which Drew wasn't a part of it. It was the grandest reunion in which our stories intertwined with a whole new story. And it wasn't an interruption that made us mad. Why didn't you come now? Why didn't you come earlier? Why didn't you come later? No, instead, it was the perfect time. It was Drew's time. And the intersection of these stories now made perfect sense. Drew is my cousin, and I'm his. His story is my family, and my story is his family. We are together. So this morning, in talking about two ways of living, one as a point in time, and there's a really, I haven't gotten to it yet, but there's a really important thing that happens to those arrows and to those hearts, and I'll do it in just a section. Caleb, you can come on up. Two ways, two ways of talking about time in this Advent season. One is as a point in time. An intersection that happens and then set in concrete, like when you graduated from school. But a second way of living is as the embodied timeline itself. Don't run away from your story is what I'm saying. Don't run away from your story. See, to embody the timeline would be a way of life whose entire story, whose entire experience is left open to the entrance of God. The story of love written onto the whole line itself. So if we continue on and imagine our stories as a timeline that extends from our birth to the present moment, I wonder where we would view ourselves on that line, just like Roland did earlier. You. You, who are a unique individual. I want you to know you are not an isolated dot that just happens to pop up from point to point. You? You! Your story, your experiences, your events, you're the line, all of it. Even the intersections of time that you regret or that you mourn or that you grieve, you make up all of that, right? You are so much more than the sum of your beliefs. You know that, right? Church, may we grow 
and to the type of people that allow our lines to intersect regardless of our allegiances in life. You're more than that. Your choices are yours, and your convictions are beautiful, and they mean something, and they carry stories, and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you in real life. I'm proud of you in all, aspect, all aspects of life. I'm proud of you for things that don't even have anything to do with New Beginnings Church. I'm proud of you with the choices that you made, even though that some of the choices that you made in life are different than the choices I made at the same time in life. Do you still love me? Because I still love you. Because I see you as you are. And you know when God looks down upon us, He's looking at more than just the intersections of time. Faith, this is the good news for you. That God is looking at your future and your past. And he's saying, yes. He's saying, yes. He's not evaluating every. What he's doing is, I'll redeem that. Ah, you little silly goose. That was stupid. That was a bad. You know you can never get to Michigan and Two hours, you idiot. I will redeem that. I will make that my own. You know, I'm not going to spill the beans here, but I've made a whole host of mistakes in my life. And if I were to spill the beans, then I could also go through each major mistake in my life and tell you how God has redeemed every single one. Why? Because God is about living life in time with me, circling over and over until all aspects of my life fall into his redemption. Man. So I want to tell you that God is not too far or too distant from you. God is near. And God is merging his divine story. Those two hearts are supposed to come together. You can do that in your mind. God is merging his story with yours. Your story is awaiting the gracious reunion of our Father. No matter how long ago you put that X up on the list where you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm so glad you did that. That started a reunion that only you know is glorious and wonderful. Only you know how glorious and wonderful that is. But God is still in the business today in your life, redeeming what is happening today, not just etching you off in stone. Oh, you're good. You said that prayer way back in, way back when. <laughs> you're good. No, 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 no. His story and his narrative is coming down into your neighborhood, moving into your life so, what story would fit here? In a starry night in Bethlehem, we come to know a mother who burrows down in the hay of a manger. Heaven's company comes near to be with her. She is pregnant with child, but only she really knows the promise that is within her like others around her. She could choose to close her story off from the divine entering because she didn't want that story. It's not the proper story for an unmarried 12-year-old girl. 
It shouldn't have happened to her. It should have happened to someone else. Don't you, don't you know, God, I'm not worthy of you entering me. <laughs> Go enter someone else. I would rather be someone else. I don't want to be me. No? No, instead of those options, Mary believed. And it was credited to her as righteousness. And when Jesus comes, she greets the arrival of Jesus as the divine merger of heaven's promise to her timeline. Her line begins to look like what? We don't just call her Mary, do we? Mother Mary, some of us in other faith traditions call her Saint Mary. What happened to Mary? Mary's whole story got adopted into the story of God. Jesus is not just a baby that experienced time on earth. Jesus is God who entered time and merged the story of heaven with the story of earth. So heaven and earth, they now have a shared experience, just like Rindy and Jake. Do you know what heaven and earth shared experience? You know what we have in common? Jesus. Jesus. What does Jesus do? He takes your story, James, and he merges it with his own. He takes your story, New Beginnings, and he merges it with his own. No matter, no matter what the X's are on your timeline, it cannot amount to God's yes over you. You cannot overwrite it. You cannot overpower it. What God is in the business of is redeeming your whole narrative so that your life begins to look like Mother Mary's where you carry the life of God in you, where you carry the life of heaven with you, when your timeline becomes the heavenly timeline. And that is possible. How? Because Jesus came to this earth to merge both heaven and earth. Father, we give you great praise for the hope in which you have provided us entering earth and redeeming our timeline in our life so that the whole of our lives can begin to reflect the whole of yours. Jesus, we give you great praise and we anticipate the ways in which you're entering time even now. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, I'd invite you to stand with me as we worship in song.